Welcome to episode 288 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash IF podcast and use IF podcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass fed, grass finished ground beef, or one pound of grass fed, grass finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash IF podcast and use code IF podcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash podcast with code podcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Let's jump into questions. Would you like to read the first question? Sure. This is from Becca. Subject is Benefiber and psyllium husk pills. Before I started intermittent fasting, I was taking Benefiber and psyllium husk pills in the morning and before bed. I've continued to do that since I started fasting. I was wondering if I'm breaking the fast with these two things. I have not really been successful in losing any weight. I've been doing intermittent fasting since January. I feel good and my clothes fit better, but it has occurred to me that I may be breaking my fast without realizing it by taking these two things. Any suggestions? Maybe I don't even need the fiber. I should be taking something else instead. Thank you for your help, Becca. All right, Becca, I'm really excited about this question because it's something I've been wanting to talk about because it's becoming a thing. So 
I know Dave Asprey talks about it in his fasting book. I know Dr. Gundry talks about it, I think, in his most recent book. A lot of people have been, I know she's asking about it, breaking the fast, but a lot of, or a lot of people, I guess Dave Asprey and Gundry, maybe some others have talked about the benefits of taking fiber while fasting to not feed you, but feed your gut microbiome, which then can create short chain fatty acids from that. That idea does not resonate with me so much. And the reason being is even if fiber is non-nutritive to us, like I said just now, the gut microbiome can break it down and create energy from it. And just on top of that, it's a substance that stimulates the digestive process. Like even if it doesn't have quote calories to us, it still has to go through that digestive process and stimulate that. So I think personally taking in something that is doing that while fasting, I find it counterintuitive to the concept of fasting. So I'm not a fan of fiber during the fast. On top of that, I don't know why you're taking the fiber. You don't say why. So I'm wondering if it's just because there's this conventional idea that we need to be taking fiber. I am all about getting fiber from whole foods. I would look at your food choices and how can you eat fiber-rich fruits and vegetables that really work for you and your digestive system. So those are my thoughts. Oh, she said she's not been successful in losing any weight. I mean, that could be a lot of factors. I I don't know that it's the, the fiber like completely. I would look at your food choices in general and the fasting window that you're doing. But those are my thoughts on that. What are your thoughts, Cynthia? Well, I think on a lot of levels, typically benefiber and psyllium are recommended by traditional allopathic trained providers. For a lot of people, it's to help with constipation, just to increase the amount of fiber in their diet. I do agree with you and echo your sentiments about getting fiber from whole food sources. My concerns about benefiber and psyllium husk is the exposure to glyphosate. So for listeners, that's a pesticide herbicide that is most of our crops are exposed to. We know that there's a direct link with developing small intestinal hyperpermeability, which is when we develop leaky gut. So foods that you're eating are then you're leaking food particles into the bloodstream, which can set up an inflammatory response and you can become sensitive to the foods that you're eating. So from a health provider's perspective, that's the first thing I think about. There are definitely other options. I prefer that fiber be taken if you do have to consume it during your feeding window. I do like the idea of resistant starch. I actually have a product called Simply Fiber, which has green banana, flour in it, and potato starch, which are in their clean sources. But I always recommend that people consume those in their feeding window as opposed to in their fasted state. And I also agree with Melanie that there can be many, many contributing factors to why you're not seeing weight loss. It could be as simple as your macros, meaning insufficient protein, too many of the wrong types of carbs, and inflammatory fats like seed oils. So really closely examining what you're eating in your feeding window and making sure you're getting sufficient amount of protein in, I say no less than 100 grams a day. I I do talk a lot about these types of subjects in my book. I also think about, you know, what else are you doing? How's your sleep? What's your stress management style like? Are you lifting weights? What's your gut health like? There can be many things that can contribute to weight loss resistance or an inability to see weight loss in and of itself. So I think there's a lot that could be going on. I would experiment with the 
types of products you're using, I would try to bump up your non-starchy vegetables to see if that's able to help you in the absence of using Benefiber and psyllium husk. And then, you know, really getting acquainted with other options that are available to you if you feel like you do need those to have a bowel movement. And there are people that benefit from taking uh, supplementation with fiber, but you want to look at the quality of what you're consuming to make sure it's the least inflammatory choice of all options. I am so glad you brought up the glyphosate issue. I do think that is such a huge problem. I really think that's a problem too. I was mentioning earlier how dog food and pet food is like eating cereal all day. That's something I think is probably a lot a huge issue for glyphosate exposure. And it's interesting not to to step on your toes while you're speaking, but there was a podcast I did with Jeffrey Smith in last fall that to me really opened up my eyes. He's doing a lot of research and a lot of advocacy to help educate people about exposure to glyphosate and genetically modified foods. And and we'll include that in the show notes so that that's available for you to learn from. You know, he's a a researcher and also an advocate and pretty powerful message and someone that that does it in a way that makes the information accessible and not scary. But certainly it's a a resource that I recommend for people to, to learn more about so that they're limiting their exposure overall to glyphosate as much as possible. I'm glad you said that. I really need to bump him up. He's the one that kind of fell through the cracks with us trying to schedule him for the show. And that happens. I mean, I think we all we all realize that 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 happens, especially when, you know, you've got a, a show like your biohacking podcast where you just get inundated. We do too. I would say more often than not, we end up turning potential people away because there just isn't there aren't enough slots in a year to get all the podcast people in. But yeah, he would be fantastic on your podcast. Yeah, I really, really want to interview him. I think what had happened was he reached out kind of at the height of a lot of the politicalness of COVID. And I wasn't quite sure the extent of his content and I wasn't sure if it was going to be too controversial for the show. But now after hearing like you interview him and like re-looking at his work now, I, I really want to bring him on. And it's not because I personally, like I am, I like to think I'm very open-minded. So it's not about me. It's more about concerns with podcast censorship that can happen. Yeah. And we we stayed way, way away from the fray of discussions about the pandemic and the virus and all those things to, to stay. And he didn't even bring any of that up. So I completely understand. Yes. So... So I'm so happy you brought that up. And then I'm so happy you brought up the constipation piece because yes, that is a reason that a lot of people take this often. And I wish that I was the type of person that responded well to fiber helping constipation because there are a lot of people who fiber does help constipation. There are also a lot of people who, and I existed for a very long time. This is a reason that I want to talk about this. I existed in a very long time experiencing constipation and thinking fiber was the answer. And like, trying to like shove fiber down my throat and it just made it so much worse. And it took me a long time to really realize that. So I just want to encourage people that if they're taking fiber for constipation and it's not working, they might benefit A, from just not taking extra fiber, B, looking at the type of fiber they're taking. So like for me, I do really well with a low FODMAP diet. So I eat fiber-rich vegetables that are low in FODMAPs, um, which are easily fermentable different substrates that can exacerbate gut issues due to fermentation. That's why people see my stories all the time buying like pounds of cucumbers from Costco. Like, Like I do really well with a lot of fiber from like cucumbers and blueberries and things like that. So just Becca, if it is constipation related, the fiber may or may not even be helping. I will put out a resource if you're 
curious about FODMAPs, you can get my app called Food Sense Guide. It has over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds that are found in foods. So things you may be reacting to based on your personal constitution. It does include FODMAPs. It also includes lectins and gluten and histamine and oxalates and sulfites and all these things. So you can get that at melanieavalon.com slash food sense guide. And Cynthia, so do you have thoughts about the, like, you know, Dave Asprey and Gundry and people who say that you actually should take fiber while fasting to create these short chain fatty acids? I think there's so many different ways to impact short chain fatty acids. And, and I, I, I'm like embarrassed to say I know far more about this subject than I'd like to just because of my own gut health journey, you know, post goodness, so many different things, including LPS, you know, lipopolysaccharides. I probably had some E. coli. I got a parasite when Morocco, I've, I've been treated for said parasite. And so there's been a lot of gut rebuilding and I think it's going to be a long process. I actually do better when I take, there's actually a, a product called Tucka. And so I do better taking that in a fed state. My stomach's just... What is it? Tucka. I'll have to give you some separate information. It's essentially like a fertilizer for the short change fatty acids. And my functional medicine practice really likes it. And so from their perspective, that's a superior option. I think for a lot of people, some of these resistant starches can be very bloating. And like you had mentioned, some people are more sensitive to some of these FODMAP-esque properties, some of these carbohydrates. So I think on a lot of levels, obviously Dr. Gundry is, is an incredible resource David Asprey obviously does his research as well. You know, he's very comprehensive, but I really think it comes down to the beauty of the N of one, you know, what really works best for you. And so the products I take, I take in my feeding window because I then don't get bloating. I then don't have some of those side effects. So there's a degree of experimentation that I think can be helpful. I think for some people, they're told to take these products on an empty stomach to lessen the likelihood that they are going to have slowed absorption or less likely to interact with other foods or other supplements or medications. And I get that, but I, I think it's all about the individual. And and I know we talk a lot about that, but I think each one of us have to do a little bit of experimentation to find out what works best. Awesome. I love that. Same page. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. 
And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalonsCloset.com. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Absolutely. So this question comes from Samantha. The subject is nutrient timing, question mark. And Samantha says, hey, ladies, thank you as always for all you do. Seriously changing the world for the better. You cover so many great topics, but I'd like to ask more about exercise. I really embraced exercising while fasted, which feels great. I usually do light lifestyle exercise, a brisk walk with a dog, house and yard work, sports with my kids. I know I should start doing more lifting and weight-bearing exercise as I am approaching 40. It's on the list. In past episodes, you've spoken about refueling not being an urgent post-exercise need. What you do in the 24-hour period is what matters. Also, I love the discussion surrounding the need for protein. I have made protein a focus for me and my family. Recently, I've noticed the phrase nutrient timing. I've heard Cynthia refer to it, and today, Dave Asprey. Can you elaborate and discuss? Are there certain levels of exercise where the timing does matter more for certain macros pre- and post-workout? Also, on a side note, my son plays hockey and hates to eat prior. He's only 10 and a strong, lean kid. I encourage at least a protein smoothie. Sometimes he accepts, and sometimes he refuses but he has a ferocious appetite for the rest of the day. So I'm not overly concerned. He eats super healthy too, and definitely does not lack for energy, but might he benefit from some better nutrient timing? Thanks sincerely, Samantha in Canada. She also says she's excited for her Lumen delivery this week. Great question, Samantha. Thank you for your questions. And I'm glad that you are Leaning into the possibility of starting some weight-bearing exercise, strength training is so, so important for us. And 
for anyone that's listening, the more muscle mass we have, the more insulin sensitive we are. And this becomes even more important as we are getting closer to middle age. In terms of protein and refueling and nutrient timing, obviously with a teenager, and I'm assuming your son is, oh, he's 10. So he's a preteen. So he's a tween. Kids are still growing. And so I think it's it's certainly very important to make sure that they are getting the right types of fuel in around workouts. They're still growing. Hopefully we are not still growing at the stage of life we're in. So protein and carbohydrates around workouts for them. I think for each one of us, and I'll go back to the bio-individuality piece, I think it's very, very important to identify what makes our bodies feel good. Obviously, if you're lifting heavy things and you're doing intense physical activity, it's going to be more important how you are timing those food intakes. And if you're intermittent fasting, I get less concerned about people feeling the need to refuel around a workout because as we've talked about before, it's more important over a 24-hour period of time. What I get concerned about though is that a lot of women under eat protein and if you're trying to build muscle, you're trying to lean into metabolic flexibility And remember, peak bone and muscle mass is our 20s and 30s. So if you're 40, you're already at that stage where you're losing some degree of muscle mass. And so I know on days I lift heavy, like yesterday was a leg day, and it was a punishing leg day because I had not been lifting heavy the entire week because I was traveling. I did break my fast earlier and I ate more food than I normally do, not because I overeat, but intrinsically my body was telling me I needed to have a larger serving of protein. I needed a bit more carbohydrate. And so when I talk about nutrient timing, I also like to think about intuitive eating. And not everyone that's listening is at a point where they're able to intuitively eat. So I I don't want to spend a lot of time focusing on that. But I do want to encourage people to understand that if you are eating to build muscle and you are intermittent fasting, you have to be very careful about when you are eating. And and this goes along with like not doing these long fasts, not just eating one meal a day. It's very important that you're getting two good-sized portions of protein in, in your feeding window, along with the right types of carbohydrates and healthy fats if they're not already incorporated into your protein source. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things, but kids are very different. Like even my teenagers are still growing. So I'm more concerned about them getting their fuel in around their workouts because they are still growing up. So they're still in this massive anabolic phase. I'm on the other end of the spectrum trying to make sure I'm not breaking down my muscle by not giving it enough stimulus and then not giving it the right nutrients over a 24-hour period of time. Melanie, what are your thoughts? I thought that was great. This was perfect timing because I'd already scheduled this question in the lineup. And then I had been listening to Peter Atia's, I think his most recent episode. Have you listened to it with Don Lehman? So good. Yes. So it's episode number 224. The title is Dietary Protein, Amount Needed, Ideal Timing, Quality, and More by Don Lehman, PhD. I was so excited last night because he started talking, like answering this question. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is perfect. So interestingly, and apparently he works with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon a lot, which is awesome. So he talks about the nutrient timing of protein. And I realize, okay, so she specifically makes it about protein, which in general, nutrient timing, I do believe is speaking to this protein question. So something I did not know until listening to that episode last night. Yes. So protein is so key to maintaining muscle, building muscle post-workout. 
he talks about how if you don't achieve a certain amount of protein after the stimulus of working out, like you're not going to build muscle. Like you've got to have, you know, at least, was it 30 or 50 grams? I'd have to double check. So people who just like kind of graze on protein in small amounts all day, they made the case that even if you ate the same amount of total protein, if you ate it in small amounts constantly, you wouldn't get those benefits, especially if you're older, because there's this like caveat for children. Well, your protein needs change as you get older. You actually need more protein because you may not be capable of breaking it down as efficiently. So I totally agree with you. Yeah, exactly. That's why, I mean, even in the longevity sphere of people who are like really steeped in the vegan world, who are proponents of low protein diets, even they say after a certain age, I think it's like 60, how you do need a higher protein intake. And what it likely comes down to is the just ability of the body to actually utilize that protein. And so you can overcome that by adding more protein to the mix. The fascinating thing that I did not know until listening last night was he said for people who are new to training, resistance training for muscle building, for them, so yes, you can always within 24 hours the signals that are created from that muscle training last for up to 24 hours. So you can refeed later with protein. If you're new to training, you will get a better effect within two hours post-workout. If you are accustomed to training and you've been doing it for a while, those benefits aren't really there anymore. So basically like the more trained you get, the less important it becomes to eat right after working out. But if you're new to it, it might be more important to eat right after working out. And I was so glad to hear that because I had not heard that before. So I had been just saying basically the 24-hour thing, which is still true, but I think that's a really important nuance to understand. Something else he talked about, and this relates to the question about the kids, is apparently kids, so like kids having like little amounts of protein all throughout the day, they actually can utilize that pretty well and that will benefit them. So like protein snacks and like just that's going to help them. He said for older populations, they basically said there's like no point. Like really once you're a certain age, you've got to get like a concentrated amount of protein and like having a little bit of protein here isn't really going to add anything. If Like it's not going to create the benefits that you want. If anything, it might just be taxing on the system. He came to the same conclusion that Cynthia said, which was you definitely want to get at least two big protein rich meals. So, and the the most important ones are the like first and last meal. So, yes, he did say also that you can counter some of the effects. So, when you get older and you're struggling with the body really utilizing that protein, that's when it, it becomes even more important to do things which stimulate the hormones to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So again, that's resistance training, even fasting (laughs) is counterintuitive as it may seem, but maybe not to our audience because we talk about that a lot, but fasting actually does like prime the body to have a growth stimulus once you actually do start eating again, which is super awesome. Um, Yeah. And then also they talk about, I know there are a lot of people who follow for various reasons, vegetarian and vegan diets. I completely respect everybody's opinion on that and why they do that. If you're doing it purely for the health reasons and not for personal ethical reasons, 
I would reevaluate that. The more and more I learn about animal protein and its role in the human body, and especially listen to this episode with Don Lehman, he really makes the case just how much more suited that is to the human body. And it provides the amino acids that we really need. He also talks about the specific amino acids that are key for muscle building, specifically leucine, as well as methionine. And those are going to be higher in animal products. And then something else, I did know this. I don't think it's talked about enough in the vegetarian and vegan world. So we often will look at herbivore animals and say, well, they're eating all like a plant-based diet and they have like, they're super muscular, like gorillas and cows and things like that. What's really important to understand is that they can have a certain type of gut bacteria that actually ferments plant-based protein and fibers. I don't even know if it's necessarily protein. It can ferment plant substrates into protein compounds that the animal then can use. And we don't necessarily do that. So I think that's really, really important to keep in mind. That was a tangent. Any other protein thoughts? No, I I think that, you know, the biggest takeaway for everyone, irrespective of what nutritional philosophy they embrace is the importance of protein. Protein, protein, protein is so important. And I find, you know, after working with thousands and thousands of women, when women tell me what they're eating, more often than not, they're really under eating protein and they're wondering why they can't build muscle. They're wondering why they're losing insulin sensitivity, irrespective of life stage that they're in. And I just remind them, this is really something that we can lean into. And it doesn't mean that you go from eating 40 grams total a day to 100, but it's something you can be diligently working towards every single day to get to a point where you're going to garner the best benefits. Exactly. All righty. Next question. So, oh, I will just comment one last thing. She said she was excited for her lumen delivery. If listeners are curious what that is, do you have a lumen? I do. Yeah. So it measures the levels of carbon dioxide in your breath to ascertain if you are burning carbs or fat. And then it helps make macronutrient recommendations to help you like take charge of your metabolic health. Do you have a code for them, Cynthia? I do. It might be Cynthia. We'll have to double check that. Okay. So we can put both in the show notes. I know mine is melanieavalon.com slash lumen. And well, it changes around Right now, the code is MEL, M-E-L, that gets you $100 off, which is amazing, but sometimes it changes. If you want to check the most recent code, you can. I actually have a Facebook group for Lumen as well as for CGMs and Biosense, which is a ketone device. So just go to Facebook and type in like Lumen, Melanie Avalon, and that should come up. So okie dokie, shall we go on to our next question? Yes, our next question is from Moose. And the subject is struggling with intermittent fasting. I first learned of intermittent fasting about six months ago when my yoga teacher suggested I check out the Delay Don't Deny Facebook group. I ordered the book since I've also ordered Fast Feast Repeat and I'm reading that as well. I've been listening to the podcast also. I've been attempting intermittent fasting since then and did have a hiccup. For a phase, I was drinking La Croix because I thought that was allowed, but I learned otherwise and quit that several weeks ago. I have been drinking black coffee and water and doing the clean fast. I know, no gum, mints, et cetera, anything with flavor, but I really struggle with being so hungry and my tummy growling. I have been tracking my fasting and on occasion I make it to 16 hours, but often I get hangry before then. 
I'm just wondering if this is common since most of the stories I hear on the podcast, people share they have no problem and it was so easy for them to go 18 plus hours early on. I feel like a failure and I'm frustrated. I believe in fasting and the health benefits and want to embrace it completely and lose weight. And I'm not in a hurry, but I know that what I am doing, only making it 12 to 16 hours is more for maintenance and not weight loss. For reference, I am 5'6 and currently about 170 pounds and 45 years old. I would like to lose at least 25 pounds. Thank you so much for any support or advice. Thank you for your question. And whenever we get a question like this, I always think it's a little bit telling or noteworthy when people tell us about their fasting experience and issues of either hunger or not working. And then there's no mention of what they're eating. So it's just about the fasting. And to me, that says, I think a lot of people look to fasting and they think fasting, all of the magic is in the fasting, but there is so much magic in what you're eating as well. And this actually piggybacks pretty nicely off of the question right before this, because if you're experiencing hunger, addressing what you're eating could possibly help that a lot. And so are you eating a high protein or a moderate to high protein diet in your eating window? You know, making sure that you actually are getting in the fuel and the substrates that you need. So we'll make it all much more likely that you won't be as hungry while eating. Also the actual macros of what you're eating can be really helpful. So some people do really well with low carb, for example, and they find that when they go low carb with their eating choices, it actually really, really helps their hunger and the fasting period. Some people it's the complete opposite. Like they try to stick out this low carb situation and they just never feel full. And then they add in carbs and that's like magic for them. Like I personally follow a, and I always wonder how many people think I'm low carb. I I eat a really high carb, low fat diet. It's all whole foods. It's really high protein, but I basically eat a ton of like, and I'm not saying everybody should do this because I think everybody should find what works for them. But like for me, what really works is really high protein from fish and shellfish and chicken and steak, lean cuts of all of that. And then I add, I eat a lot of fruit and it works really well for me. And then I do the fasting, but some people do really well with the low carb. So their handle is moose elk. So moose elk, <laughs> I would look at your eating and what you're doing there. Yeah. I would really look at the eating, honestly. Do you have thoughts, Cynthia? I do. And I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this is a male or a female. I'm, I'm going to assume a female and just speak from the perspective of if you've been doing this for six months and you're still struggling to get to, you know, more than 16 hours, then something needs to shift. It may not be that you're not eating enough in your feeding window. So it could be as simple as you need larger portions of protein, which is going to help with satiety. Like Melanie mentioned, you know, there needs to be a degree of experimentation. You're also, if you're a female, you're in this perimenopausal range and it is going to get a little more challenging. It does not mean impossible to fuel weight loss because you're having these fluctuations in progesterone and estrogen. This is a perfect example of, you know, really leaning into what's your stress management like? How is your sleep? Are you consuming an anti-inflammatory diet? And that could be, you know, removing inflammatory foods like gluten, grains, dairy, and yes, dairy can be inflammatory in certain people, alcohol, sugar. I would definitely try an elimination diet to see if maybe there's a food that's inflaming you. I do find for a lot of perimenopausal women that gluten and dairy in particular can be problematic as well as alcohol. 
making sure you're lifting weights. I don't know if you're doing any weight training. That's certainly very important. That will help with insulin sensitivity. But I do, I do find that perimenopause is a particularly challenging time. Sometimes people are over fasting and that's driving problems. People are eating too many nuts and too much cheese, which is easy to overeat. I think you really just need to kind of look comprehensively at what you're doing and, and make some adjustments and know that no one should have to white knuckle fasting. If you're really struggling, then I would break your fast and eat. But I would also really make sure you're eating enough food in the meals that you're consuming. Mel and I are very transparent about the way that we eat. I eat a lot of protein. I generally carb cycle, which means I don't eat the same amount of carbohydrates every day. I really like berries couple times a week, depending on how much I'm lifting. I may have squash or sweet potato. I really try to stay away from grains because they generally don't agree with me. But I think for each one of us, it's kind of leaning into what makes our bodies feel good. I do better with leaner meat and leaner fish than I do with fatty fish and fatty meat. And I've been consistently that way my entire life. But I would encourage you to really, you know, maybe keep a food diary, maybe do a whole 30 to figure out what's going on. And the other thing that I would say is because you're 45, I would make sure you have baseline metabolic health markers done. What's your fasting insulin? Do you have a glucometer? Do you have a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, really looking at the nuances? And we will link up some of the more popular podcasts I've done talking about perimenopause. One of the top five podcasts this year was, doc- was with Dr. Tabitha Barber. And we'll include that with the show notes so that you can listen to that at your, le- at your leisure. But perimenopause is a time when a lot of things have to change. I'm obviously a living example. I tell everyone that you can navigate your 40s and 50s and still be metabolically healthy and flexible, but you have to make changes. And that's that's the honest, the most honest answer I can give you. That was very helpful and very comprehensive. <laughs> Thank you. Shall we go on to our next two questions? Absolutely. So we have two questions from Robin. She says, I am a 67-year-old female doing IF since August 2021. I'm 5'7". My starting weight was 188. My current weight is 155. And my goal weight is 145. Number one, what protein powder do you recommend? Can I mix it in Greek yogurt? I find it hard to consume enough protein in my four to eight hour eating window. Do you have a recommended protein powder? I do. If you tolerate whey, I like Marigold. It's New Zealand small batch whey. They have chocolate malt, they have vanilla, they have unflavored, and that's my preferred whey protein. If you're going to mix it, I would do full fat Greek yogurt. And But I would also make sure that that's not the only protein source you're getting in your window. Like You really should have an eight-hour window to make sure you're getting no less than 35 to 50 grams of protein in boluses. I think that's super important. Yes. Yeah. So basically refer to the earlier questions about all of the protein. I had Dr. David Minkoff on the show. I really like his perfect amino protein powder. So if you go to melanieavalon.com slash perfect amino, the coupon code melanieavalon will get you a discount. Beyond that, I eat so much just real protein that I don't ever eat really protein powders. But if I do eat protein powders, I encourage listeners to look at the ingredients on the protein powders because there are so many on the market and they're so full of just gross stuff, (laughs) like additives and flavors and just things you don't want in your body. So finding protein powders that are really just the source of the protein is, in my opinion, really ideal. So like that perfect amino is literally just aminos, essentially. 
There are some nice like grass-fed whey proteins on Amazon that I've ordered before. I also like, you know, like single ingredient, like like egg white type protein powders. And yes, like Cynthia said, of course, you yes, you can mix it in your yogurt. And that'll definitely bump up your protein. And Marigold is is great. It's a small company. And if you use code Cynthia, you'll get free shipping on it. But that's probably my best recommendation. If someone's listening that's plant-based, there's a lot of junky plant-based options that are out there. But Food Babes, Truvani is probably the cleanest that I've seen. You know, for people that are looking for a plant-based option, I personally don't love it because it doesn't mix very well. But that's, I've tried everything. Like everything I've recommended, I've tried, including the whey protein, although I have to be careful with that because I'm dairy-free and dairy doesn't always agree with me. But I think if you're tolerating dairy, that is a nice option. And if you're looking for a lower likelihood of immunity, you know, evoking immune response, you can look at Tara's Way, T-E-R-A, Tara's Way. They have a sheep milk protein that is super high quality, small batch, and you can purchase that pretty readily and easily as well. And here's a huge question for you, Cynthia. So I'm super excited for when you release your creatine powder. So creatine is an amino acid. Is it something that people use for their protein intake or is it a more specific use not really related to protein intake, like numbers? Yeah, it's a it's an important question. It's to be used in addition to. We know that women's creatine needs change with their menstrual cycle. They actually increase if you're vegetarian or vegan. And there's a lot of really good research to demonstrate that creatine is absolutely critical with menopausal, perimenopausal women. So there's really no one that doesn't need it to help with ATP production, to help with healthy muscle maintenance, to help with cognition and brain health. And I was telling Melanie before we started recording that we're getting very close. Hopefully next month, the creatine will be available. And I'm really excited because the more I learn about creatine, the more I realize that we should all be adding this as a supplement so you can throw it into things like a smoothie, you can throw it into water be very multifunctional and no junk. I'm so excited, especially because I keep hearing people talk about it and I do think it's really important. I've never personally used it. And so I'm like, I can't wait till you have yours because I'm going to integrate it into my personal arsenal. Thank you. All right. Second question from Robin. She says, I've been on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy since I went through menopause at age 57. I still have a uterus. So I take estrogen and progesterone sublingually, as well as topical testosterone. In the past, when I took too much estrogen, I bled some. So now I take a lower dose. My gynecologist told me I have a hypersensitive uterus. I've even considered a hysterectomy, so I won't have to worry about this. My question, can I do bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for life? In all your podcasts I've listened to on hormones, I haven't heard this question addressed. Also, what do you think about a hysterectomy for my situation? Thanks, Melanie and Cynthia. I love you, ladies, and I'm thankful for you both. And she is from Florida, so I hope all is well with her with that hurricane situation. Exactly. Well, Robin, thank you for your thoughtful question. First and foremost, a lot of the research, and this is not medical advice, let me just say that up front, just based on what you've shared, I really like oral progesterone that actually is much more protective of the uterus. So that might be something worth discussing with your GYN. You know, I don't think it's so much that you have a hypersensitive uterus. I just think there is a right dose for you. And perhaps you and your GYN have not 
fine-tuned that enough yet. So yes, when estrogen and progesterone are not properly balanced, it can cause you to have some bleeding, which of course is not fun in menopause, of course. In terms of whether or not you can take bioidenticals for life, the research is now suggesting that it is safe to do so. There are just so many benefits. I think for a lot of women, they go a period of time, you know, greater than three to five years after going through menopause before starting the medications, starting hormone replacement therapy. And there's some research to suggest that the most benefit is garnered when it started within three to, there's a beautiful three to five year window after going through into menopause when you're at most benefit from starting it. But that does not mean if we have a listener who hasn't started it in that window that somehow there are not benefits. We know there are a lot of benefits, especially because we think about brain health, heart health, bone health, cognition, vaginal health, et cetera. So I'm glad that you're GYN is comprehensive because you're also on testosterone, which is also very important. And for people that are listening, the more I learn about testosterone and the benefits of that, it's very, very important for maintaining healthy body composition. Although it can be tricky because some healthcare providers do not offer that as an option. Your second question is, what do you think about a hysterectomy for your situation? I would have to really be at a point where I was having a lot of bleeding to consider going through a surgical procedure, although hysterectomies can now be done through the vagina, so they can be pretty benign. That's probably a better question for your GYN. Some women think it's no big deal to have their uterus removed. Others are very sensitive to having their uterus removed emotionally and otherwise. And so I think that's a highly personal question. But with dosage adjustments, hopefully you will not have any more bleeding and that will not be problematic and you will avoid having to have an additional sur- or a surgery. But I'm, I'm grateful that it sounds like you've got a very comprehensive GYN that they're so on top of not only your symptoms, but helping to take care of your brain, body, bones, and heart in menopause. Melanie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, just a few quick things. We've talked about this on the show before, but every time the question of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy comes up, I do think it's important to share the information about how a lot of the potential fear surrounding bioidentical hormones was based on studies that have since been reevaluated and that they're potentially misleading in the like cancer risks for women related to this, just something to consider. So it can be really beneficial for a lot of people. And I think a lot of the concerns and fears surrounding it might be based in some misleading data that happened with, was it the Women's Health Initiative? Yeah, that came out in 2002. And and we have a whole generation of providers and women who are fearful to take hormone replacement therapy. I did an excellent podcast with Drs. Avram Blumming and Dr. Carol Tavris earlier this year, which we'll link in the show notes. There's a fantastic resource called Why Estrogen Matters. And I have to honestly tell you that that book is life-changing. I can't tell you how frequently I recommend it, not just for other healthcare professionals that I work with and interact with, but also patients. And I think it's very under it's very important that women understand that you don't have to white knuckle perimenopause and menopause. You don't have to suffer. Your quality of life is hugely impacted by replacement of the hormones that you have lost. It does not mean there's anything wrong with you. I think it's all about honoring each woman and what they want to have done. I, I worry the most about brain health, to be completely honest with you. You know, we look at women's rates of Alzheimer's. They go up exponentially when they're in menopause as we are becoming less insulin sensitive. I just did a fantastic podcast with Max Lugavar, 
talking a lot about this and about his, you know, his trajectory and his career and the impact of his mother's illness on his decision to really lean into cognition and brain health. And really, that's become his life's work. And so I always say to women that each one of us have to make the decision that makes the most sense for us. But education and empowerment are absolutely critically important. And I would strongly recommend if you're on the fence or you're feeling unsure or you're working with someone that's not comfortable prescribing hormones, that you work with someone that is. And a lot of the clinicians that I've done podcasts with, and there are many of them, Dr. Tabitha Barber, Dr. Sean Tassone, Dr. Blooming is, I believe, no longer practicing, but there are so many practitioners. Dr. Felice Gersh, who's going to come back on the podcast this fall, and we're going to talk all about perimenopause and menopause. There are so many heart-centered practitioners who want women to thrive in perimenopause and menopause. You don't have to do it white-knuckling it. Kind of like this is this recurring theme in this podcast. You don't have to white-knuckle fasting and you don't have to white-knuckle going through reverse puberty. So hopefully that's helpful, Robin, but I think you're, it sounds like you're in very good hands and I'm very happy to see that. Thank you for drawing attention to that. Something I haven't even remotely thought about, not having had that experience of perimenopause and menopause. The only other thing I was going to comment on was the testosterone piece it's just something I want to share. It's kind of like with the Women's Health Initiative study thing. I mentioned last episode how I recently had Doc Cause back on my show for his new book called Get the Funk Out, which is a really comprehensive look at seven key hormone systems in the body and how to address that. But he actually opens up the book and we talked about his story on the show. He went on testosterone therapy. So this is for men. We talked about this. Like, I don't know why this isn't more well known. Apparently, if you're a man and you go on testosterone therapy, it can actually lead to infertility, at least while you're on it. So, like, while he was on it, it dropped his sperm to like zero, which he didn't even know was a thing. And apparently, it's very, very common. And he was able to reverse it by going off of the testosterone and doing a lot of specific nutritional protocols. And he did say, he, you know, reversed the fertility issue while he's in this period of maybe wanting to have children. But then he did say once he, you know, after when he's on the flip side of children, he'll definitely go back on it because it was, it's like the best he's ever felt. I asked him about testosterone supplementation in women. And he said that he doesn't really see it. Is he a clinician? Yeah. He's a doctor. Yeah. And then I was talking with one of my other doctor friends about female, and this is why I'm just really curious your thoughts on it, about testosterone supplementation in women. And he was not a fan either. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 10% off my new magnesium supplement. Magnesium is such a crucial mineral in the body. It's involved in over 600 enzymatic processes. Basically everything that you do requires magnesium, including creating energy from your food, turning it into ATP in the mitochondria, boosting your antioxidant system. Magnesium has been shown to help with the creation of glutathione, regulating your blood sugar levels, affecting nerve health, muscle recovery, muscle contractions, supporting cardiovascular health and blood pressure, aiding sleep and relaxation, and so much more. It's estimated that up to two-thirds of Americans do not get the daily recommended levels of magnesium. And on top of that, magnesium deficiencies can often be silent because only 1% of magnesium is actually in our bloodstream. So that might not be reflective of a true magnesium deficiency. Our modern soils are depleted of magnesium. We're not getting it in our diet. That's why it can be so crucial to supplement with magnesium 
magnesium daily. I wanted to make the best magnesium on the market, and that is what Magnesium 8 is. It contains eight forms of magnesium in their most absorbable forms, so you can truly boost your magnesium levels. It comes with the cofactor methylated B6 to help with absorption, as well as chelated manganese because magnesium can actually displace manganese in the body. My Avalon X supplements are free of all problematic fillers, including rice, which is very, very common in a lot of supplements, including some popular magnesium supplements on the market. It's tested multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens, as well as free of heavy metals and mold. And it comes in a glass bottle to help prevent leaching of toxins into our bodies and the environment. Friends, I wanted to make the best magnesium on the market, and that is what this magnesium is. You can get magnesium 8 at avalonx.us and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off your order. That code will also work on all my supplements, including my first supplement that I made, serapeptase. You guys love serapeptase, a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm that breaks down problematic proteins in your body and can help allergies, inflammation, wound healing, clear up your skin, clear brain fog, even reduce cholesterol and amyloid plaque. All of this is at avalonx.us. That coupon code Melanie Avalon will also get you 10% off site-wide from my amazing partner, MD Logic Health. For that, just go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. You can also get on my email list for all of the updates. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Have you done it in your practice? Well, here's the thing, and, and this is going to come, this might be the most strongly worded response that this, this entire podcast listener base has ever heard from me. When men are trying to tell women, this is very much part of the patriarchy. Rarely will you hear me sound this firm about this. When men are trying to tell women that testosterone is not important, we actually have more testosterone in our bodies until we go into menopause than we do relative to estrogen. It is in smaller amounts but it is very important for brain health, for bone health, for muscle health to to somehow suggest that women don't need supplemental testosterone. And obviously this is prescription. This is not a supplementation. Typically it's it's in a cream form. I, I think on a lot of levels when you have women going into menopause and they're starting to struggle with body composition changes, they're losing muscle mass, it is a direct reflection of this loss of testosterone. And testosterone starts to kind of slowly peter off, unlike estrogen, that it's almost like you get shoved off a cliff, it can be a precipitous drop, as you're in the latter stages of perimenopause. So I always with caution when I hear male physicians suggesting that it's not important, that has never been my clinical experience. Most if not all of the the male and female physicians that I refer to and work with and interact with that are GYNs, they're very pro-testosterone for the right person. Obviously, most people in the United States, both male and female, that have low testosterone levels, it's a, it's a direct reflection of stress because our body has a hormone hierarchy. It can also be a direct reflection of insulin resistance. And so you get this aromatization of testosterone to estrogen. That's why you sometimes will see feminization of men, not because they, they choose to become more feminized, but it's because their testosterone is being aromatized into estrogen. And so I think it's it's highly personal. I do find most in the functional integrative medicine space talk very openly about using testosterone. It's very much a bio-individual thing. But the more I learn about the way that that hormone therapy has been put on hold effectively since the Women's Health Initiative came out, the more I feel like it's important for providers to speak out and just say that 
most of the women that I see fully optimized in perimenopause and menopause are very likely on some degree of testosterone. And I'm not talking about pellets. Pellets are wildly unpredictable. I have colleagues that call it 1920s medicine. Now, if you're someone that gets pellets and you feel good on pellets, great. But I find most women feel good for about a week or two. And then, you know, their testosterone levels plummet and they don't feel great. But testosterone's needed for a lot of different things in the body. And Although I, I respect, you know, the physicians that you've interacted with, I have to politely disagree and say that, you know, testosterone therapy is absolutely part of bioidenticals for the proper individual at the right time. I see a lot of people do really well starting with progesterone and then adding in testosterone if it's needed and then adding in the estrogen piece. But it's really dependent on your labs, how you feel, the symptoms you're experiencing and finding the right provider to be able to support your body and your needs and your goals in a way that is aligned with, you know, what you're looking for. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Like I'm so new to the whole testosterone supplementation. And it was, it was interesting that within a very small time frame, I discussed it with two different doctors and yes, very interesting that it was the male perspective. And so that's really valuable information. Yeah. And I, I never, like anyone that knows me, I, the, the, the phrase, the patriarchy never comes out of my mouth. However, it has been my experience, the more I learn about this time period in women's lives, the more that that really becomes apparent. And so I think for everyone listening, you know, finding a provider that can meet your needs is absolutely important. There are some really good books, you know, maybe that'll be part of another podcast where we can unpack that a little bit more and just talk about some of the books that I think are very, very helpful for women. But Why Estrogen Matters is a great starting point to have that conversation with your healthcare professional. And quite frankly, I say this a lot, www.ifm.org. I have no affiliation with them, but those are functionally and integrative medicine trained people. And you can look in your area. There might be people that are you know, practicing gynecologists or their internal medicine physicians and NPs and PAs that are have an interest in women's hormones and women's health and can meet your needs and, and you don't have to suffer. So that, that's the that's big take home is you do not have to suffer in perimenopause and menopause. I'm really glad I said that because I'm really glad to hear that answer. So that was very valuable. Thank you. You're welcome. Quick comment on the patriarchy thing. I wish it would be possible to, because if you like use that word, it feels like it comes with all of these assumptions about, I wish it could, we could just like acknowledge it when it actually is existing, like objectively without feelings of like a bias or emotions, you know, but there might just be systems that are from a patriarchy type system manifesting, especially in things like healthcare. I so rarely say that. So for listeners to understand that it takes a lot to get me fired up about something. And this is definitely a subject that I, I feel like it is going to be part of my life's work and helping to dispel bad information, bad research, bad results that were reported from Women's Health Initiative and how we effectively have an entire generation of clinicians and women who are fearful to prescribe and then fearful to take hormone replacement therapy. Awesome. Well, this was very valuable information for listeners. So, okay. Well, a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. 
These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 288. Those show notes will have a full transcript. So definitely check that out. It will also have links to everything that we talked about. And we talked about a lot of things. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. And I am Melanie Avalon. And Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go? No, just know that keep the questions coming. We're loving all the variety and we appreciate you and and all the listeners' support. It really means a lot. I echo all of that completely. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.